visitors and everybody came out last Sunday were here. Now you guys are here, but I'm glad some of you guys came back <laughs> on that side. But anyways, uh, we sure have a lot of activities, don't we, for uh, being such a small group of believers. But uh, somebody said that this is a this is the the best. Well, the, yeah, it is the best church. I think so. <laughs> it is is a good church. Uh, the church that has a, the big field, little church that has a big field. Put it that way. Because uh, we try to do everything according to Scripture, and uh, we, we want to be able to fellowship and, and provide for all our members and attenders to attend as many classes as possible to learn. Um, as you heard just a little bit ago, we have um, our, uh, our uh, fundamentals of the faith. Uh, most, most of you have already been through it, <clears throat> but um, you know, if there's anybody that would like to attend, it's a 23-week course. Uh, it's on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. And then, uh, the, of course, the uh, Doctrines of Grace it's going to start this Tuesday, and then Thursday also in Spanish, if we can get some people to join us up in Spanish. But uh, we have the Doctrines of Grace on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6 to 7.30. And that class will be 13 weeks long, so um, you can take your pick. They don't build on each other. Uh, personally, I'd like for you to you know, take one that's uh, doctrines, of the, of, uh, doctrines of Grace is, I think, a good starter. Fundamentals goes through everything, all the, all the, 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 faith, all the doctrines that we believe. So that'll help you get a good handle on who we are and what we're doing. So those of you, I congratulate you that have already been through it. Praise God for that. Amen. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that are, um, uh, would like to join us, uh, we, we ask you to join us as, as often as you can and whenever you can. All right. So uh, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1. We're, we're getting right into the meat of the message of what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. Timothy is a deacon, excuse me, an, uh, not a deacon, but a, um, a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Timothy was left there by Paul to charge or to command or to talk to certain people about some of the things that they were doing and teaching. And what, what Paul wanted to do was give him some insight, give him some, um, give him some direction as far as how it is that he needs to teach and what he should be teaching and, and how it is that he should be moving forward. One of the things that we're going to find out today is that Timothy, well, we found this out last week, is Timothy was a younger man. He was a, a Paul's protege, probably met Paul at a very young age. And right around now, he's probably about 25, 30 years old. So he was maybe 15, 20 years old at, at the most, uh, known Paul for 15 years. And so Paul discipled him. And then he left him at, at, at Ephesus. We went through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was a general letter to all the churches that were in the area, but it was, it was focused more on uh, Ephesus. And so when Timothy was the pastor there, <clears throat> there was a lot of bad teaching going around. And, and it, it, as we read this, you'll get the sense that Timothy wanted to leave. He didn't want to stick around. I, I kind of think that Timothy was a young pastor, immature, strong in the faith, knew what he believed because Paul taught him, yet he was intimidated by the older elders or people that were in the church. And you get the sense that Paul wanted, uh, that Timothy wanted to move on. You know, I, I'm not fit. I'm not cut out for this. I, you know, I can't do this. This is stressful. It's strenuous. It's, they're not listening. You know, uh, as I said last week, somebody said once before that church is great if it wasn't for all the people. And, uh, and so this is some of the things that Timothy, I'm sure, was going through. And, and if you listen to this carefully, and, and we're going to go over this again next week, because there's some things here that Paul is directly sharing with Timothy that he wants him to deal with. And, by the way, as we go through this, and if you've been with us for any length of time, you will know that we've already addressed these issues. And he's dealt with this in Ephesus. He's dealt with this in Galatia, especially Galatians. Uh, he's dealt with this in uh, First and Second Thessalonians. He's dealt with this in Colossians. Colossians was a a, a big uh, uh, Gnostic teaching that was going. Paul was dealing with this throughout his whole ministry, and, and it, it it helps us to understand that this is something that he was dealing with at that time. That it continues to grow in our day and age. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, we don't get that teaching from churches or pastors. Everybody just get along and everybody feel good. Let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And, uh, you know, don't don't rock the boat because we don't want to offend anybody. You know, but but that was exactly what was going on within the church. The church had had, had fallen into the, the culture. The church, the church is being influenced by the culture, kind of like what our church is being influenced today. You know, people would say, you know, uh, you know, but we got lights, we got smoke machines, we got a powerful band, but you're not preaching the truth. 
And, and so one of the things that we have come to conclude is that, yeah, some people just don't like their sin being put out in front of them. And so they don't stick around. But the Bible is, and we'll see this, and we've seen this through the, through the past uh, epistles that Paul had written to all the church. And now we're going to the personal epistles. These are pastoral epistles uh, written to Timothy and to Titus, but for all pastors and leaders on how a church ought to behave and the conduct of the church. We are to hold up the truth. And so this is not only something unique to Paul. We're going to find out that Jesus even taught this. And this wasn't just something unique to Jesus. This was something that in the Old Testament that God was constantly dealing with uh, stiff-necked, hard-headed people that wanted to build up their own doctrine and their own teaching and lead people astray for their own benefit. So as we've been going through the Bible, basically, since uh, the Gospels, and we've been going through each book, you know, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we've, we've found a lot of teachings, a lot of different things that we've learned. But this is the theme that is basically in most of the scriptures that Paul is dealing with. So you have to stop and ask yourself, why do you think that is? Why is it that this is one of the, the portions of scripture? This is one of the, the themes of scripture that is dominant in most of the, the teachings of Paul. What is it that Paul is trying to get across? And, and why is it that today most people don't even understand what doctrine is or why it's even essential? Uh, I've had arguments, or not arguments, but discussions with people say, I don't want doctrine. You know, just give me Jesus. I don't want all that, you know, theology stuff. Just give me love. You know, just, just like me for who I am. You said, come as I am. I, you know, yes, but you, gotta, you can't stay as you are. You, you, we're all sinners. And doctrine, what it does, it determines your behavior. What you believe is what you're going to do. And in right or wrong, whether it's right belief or wrong belief, you're going to act out according to what you believe is true and right at that moment. And if you believe that it is okay to tell a small lie, it's okay to tell a big lie because of at that moment, you don't want to get caught, you don't want to be in trouble, whatever the case may be, then guess what? Your belief system is going to dictate to you your behavior and your behavior is going to come out and your behavior is going to be, well, I didn't do it or that's not what I said or whatever the case may be. You're going to be determined already because of your belief system to go in that direction of spreading falsehoods or not telling the truth. But if your belief system says, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I have been cleansed, I have been washed away of all my sin, I have been taken, uh, God has made me right, and, you know, whatever happens, you know, rain or shine, you know, I, whatever happens, I might get in trouble, but yes, this is the truth, I did that, yes. And, and you know, as a matter of fact, most people respect that. Most people respect, especially when you're wrong, most people respect the fact that you told the truth. You might still get in trouble, <laughs> but you'll be respected for it. And uh, one of the things that really just d destroys trust in any relationship, whether it be husband, wife, friends, uh, business practices, whatever the case may be, whatever, the one thing that, that always destroys trust is lying. And that's just one. That's just one of the belief systems that a believer should have. And so can you imagine... And just think about this. If my belief system is based upon what everybody else is teaching me and what everybody else is saying on how I should act in church, how I should behave in church, what I should ask of God, what should I do for God, you know, all these, you know, instead of what the Bible says. And so when, when these things come up, like we're going to be talking about today, when these things come up, it, it is difficult for people to get a, get a handle on that because, well, that's not what I believe. That's not what I was taught. That's not what I heard. That's not what I've been told. Since I was a kid, I, I had always believed that uh, I can name it and claim it. You know, that's God is supposed to give me. Every, he's my genie. He's my Santa Claus. If I tell him what I want, he should get. I deserve it. That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God of the Bible. What I deserve is eternal damnation. That's I deserve God's wrath. But by his grace, he saved me. And because he saved me, I am now a child of God. I don't need him to give me anything because I already have everything. Amen? I, I have, <laughs> he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I have all of eternity. I have everything I could ever possibly need or want. See, but the culture tells you differently. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And so, so 
in this portion of scripture from verses three through seven, I'm reading first Timothy chapter one. It says this, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and and endless genealogies, which produce speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertion. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for this portion of scripture that we are diving into. Help us to just sift through it very carefully and see the the picture that Paul was uh, addressing, the issues that Timothy was facing, and how it is that we can apply these principles to our life today. So thank you, Lord, for the ability to be able to see through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit I know that you are the, the writer and the, and the uh, sustainer of your word and your truth. And so you are here with us in our heart, showing us, because we know the man without the Spirit cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit of God, because they are foolishly discerned. And Lord, we know that as we've been saved, we've been given a new heart, a new mind to see what your word says. It's as simple as that, Lord. It's not complicated. So help us to go through this portion of scripture, applying it to our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. All right. You know, it, as I said earlier, there's been a lot of, lot, and the Bible teaches and talks a lot about false teachers and, and their demonic doctrines. It, talk, it talks a lot about their core battle with the church and, and the, what the church had to fight throughout history. And it's not unique just to this church age. It's not unique just to the, uh, the time that, that we're talking about right now. This is something that has been going on from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, if, uh, if, you, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13 in your Bibles, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's also the fifth book of the Torah of the writing of Moses. And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, God had instructed Moses, here's some of the things that I want you to understand, Moses, because this is going to happen. He says, if a prophet, in verse 1, I'm reading out of verse 1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that, that he tells you comes to pass, and he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to them, or listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether the love, whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But the prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. As a matter of fact, even later, he goes on to say that if a dreamer or a prophet comes forward and he says something, he says, thus says the Lord, and it doesn't come true, then the Lord didn't say so. And if it didn't happen, then what you need to do is you need to take that false prophet and take him outside the city gates and stone him. And the stoning was very crucial. It was very, and it wasn't just to get mad at people or to get back at people to, you know, to call them false prophets. It was to rid the community of evil. And this stoning process was very drastic and graphic. They would take the individual up to a cliff side and throw him off the cliff. And from on top of a cliff or a pit or wherever the, the person was thrown into, they would get boulders, big rocks, and just toss them down and try to knock this man unconscious. And, uh, and it was only reserved for men. And, and so it was, a very, it was a crucial and graphic way to show that God hates sin. And he doesn't want sin within the community. And that Old Testament, I mean, we don't, thank God we don't do that anymore. We have grace now. But our stance should still be God hates sin. And anybody that's going around professing to say, well, thus says the Lord. Oops, I messed up. Oh, thus says the Lord. Okay, that one happened. Oh, thus says the Lord. Eh, that one didn't happen. You know, I, I've, I've read and I've seen prophets that have come up from today 
in our modern day, they say, you know, we don't always get it right. Maybe 40, 50, 60 percent of the time. You know, you know what the, the odds are or the percentages are in the Bible? The percentage is zero. If you get it wrong just once, you're not speaking for God. Yet we have many people following these prophets and apostles and false prophets stating yes. And then their lifestyle, how it it doesn't even change. And, you know, it's amazing. And and God said from the very beginning, stay away from those people. Get them out of your midst. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 14, 14, he said this. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. Now, this is in the Old Testament. I did not send them, nor did I command them or, or or to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless deviations, and the deceit of their own minds. He goes on to say in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14, your prophets have seen uh, for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. You see, what, what the prophet always did, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the, the preacher of the, God, the Word of God, what they always did is they always exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes. And the problem is that all the prophets, by the way, that were sent by God were executed because they didn't like the fact that God himself was sending these prophets and exposing their iniquities. So they started to realize, you know what? We don't want to get uh, we don't want to get crucified. So let's not rock the boat. Let's not offend anybody. Let's say it's okay to love whoever you want. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to have women pastors. It's okay, you know, because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be excommunicated, executed, or whatever the case may be. And those are some of the issues Paul's going to deal with. He tells Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men. We're going to talk about that here in just a few months, a few weeks. He also says, you know, that we shouldn't be teaching these types of doctrines and and be careful. These, These are doctrines of demons, he calls them. If it's not from the word of God, it's not from God. Bottom line. Yeah, but I got a vision and I got a dream. You know, if the vision or dream that a person says aligns with God's word, I don't need it. I don't need somebody telling me what I already know in the Bible. This is why you need to know your Bible. But if a vision and a dream does not align with God's word, then you don't want it, beloved. You don't want it. I've shared this story with you before of a gentleman that was very active in our church. He was an evangelist. He reached people. He brought people in, and he was just on fire for God. And one day he comes to me and says, you know, I got, I got a vision from God. God gave me a vision, and he sent me, he's sending me to New Mexico. New Mexico, wow. What are you going to do in New Mexico? God is calling me to be a preacher to the, to the Native Americans and, and to try to reach as many as possible. And, and you know, and, and so I'm just going, and, and I, I, I mean, I sense God is telling me. I feel God is telling me. I, I know God is telling me to go. I says, well, when are you guys going? He says, what do you mean you guys? Well, you and your wife, when are you guys going? He goes, oh, no, no. God didn't call my wife. He just called me. I says, well, that can't be from God. And he says, well, why not? He goes, because God wouldn't separate you. You know, you're supposed to lead your wife. Well, she don't want to go. Well, then maybe you should go, but not right now. No, I'm going right now. You know, and I couldn't tell him otherwise because he heard something i'm sure he heard something but it wasn't from god long story short guy took up uh got caught up in alcohol drugs and everything else and ended up in prison and you know his family separated you know and, and the the if it doesn't agree and line up with scripture Yes, maybe God is calling you to be a missionary. Yes, but he's not going to call just you. He's going to call both you and your wife. Or he's going he's gonna to affirm it through the church. I couldn't affirm that. He wanted me to launch him out. I couldn't affirm that. I can't, not unless the, both of you guys are going. Next thing I know, he's already gone. You see, your prophets, as he says here in Lamentations, have seen for you false and deception, deceptive visions. We'll get into that a little bit later, but... This is one of the things that Satan's going to do. When Antichrist comes, he's going to give visions. He's going to give wonders and signs. So almost ideal and so authentic that it, it, or almost authentic that you could even fool and deceive the elect if, if that was possible is what Jesus says. And, and so you have to know your word. If it doesn't line up, and this is why we take a lot of time to going through one one verse the first week, second verse, the, you know, the next week to share with you what 
the Bible is saying. As a matter of fact, as I said earlier, Jesus himself, he reminded us, it came from Jesus' mouth in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look so sweet. They look so nice. They look so kind. They do uh, all kinds of things, you know, that is very, uh, you know, popular. But a lot of times they're in it for themselves. As I've said many times before in Matthew 24, this is when Jesus Christ is is explaining what's going to happen at the end time. The very first thing he says, it's not the wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence. It's not all the persecution and trials that you're going to go through. But in chapter 24, verse 4, the first thing he says, see that no one leads you astray. Because there's going to be false prophets and apostles that are going to be coming up. As a matter of fact, in verse 11, he clarifies that. And he says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And it's interesting because as he's talking about the end times, he says this three, the third time he says it in Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so when Paul is talking to Timothy, you know, I charge you. I want you to stay there. I urge you, don't go. I know these guys are just, you know, they're, they're saying things that sound good. Don't go. You need to stay there. Charge these men. Char- the word charge is a, is a word in Greek that is more of a command, a, a military term. Command these people. Command them. You, you tell them. You, you let the, and, and as I said, I believe that Timothy might want to, wanted to go because the word that Paul used there is I urged you in other words I begged you I pleaded with please Timothy you know it was like he was getting on his knees don't go I know that you can make a difference there I know it from the from the bottom of my heart I know that God has placed you there for this purpose do not go please Paul was in prison he couldn't go back he couldn't be there so he's telling Timothy stay stay as a matter of fact, Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. There are those that are willing to say, no, Jesus is just a man. He was just a teacher. He was a prophet. And Peter says, they're going to come people like that. And it's going to be within the church. In 1 John 4, 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have come out into the world. And, and what, what John is saying, and we've gone through this, and I, I don't know if I'm going to do this again, but I can, I can walk you through 1 John on how to test the spirits. Because John gives us the formula. First of all, is he, from, is he proclaiming Jesus Christ? Second of all, is he proclaiming the word of the world? You know, and John gives us a detailed uh, description of what it is to look for. Um, you know, and, and the thing about false prophets and uh, false apostles is, is that they're very, very convincing. They'll get up here, they'll cry, they'll, they'll show, they'll put on a showman boat, they'll, they'll do all kinds of things. And, and they'll, they'll cause, you know, they'll, they'll even have people within the congregation that are props, in a sense, set up already to show that here comes somebody in crutches, here comes somebody in a wheelchair, and boom, all of a sudden they're up and, and walking around. Now these things, I say these not just flippantly, these are things that have been proven and shown that they have set up people in the congregations just to make it look authentic. I read a story of a young lady named Joni Erickson Tata. She was paralyzed from the neck down and goes around in a, in a wheelchair that's operated by her tongue or her, her chin because nothing can move. And everything she does is from the neck up. And she, she dove into a lake or a river and broke her neck. And when she was a young lady, she couldn't believe how God would let that happen to her and how God would let that happen. And she heard of this, this preacher, this healer that was coming into town, Benny Hen, and he was coming into town and he was coming in to, to heal. And, and so they got there early. The mom and the daughter got there early and, and they asked them, you know, why are you here? Well, we want, we're here for healing. And there was a line of people that were there desperately needing healing. Now, this is what her, she says in her book. And, and as she says that, you know, when I, when I was there, I says, oh, praise God, because I really want, I believe God. And I know he can heal me. I just want to be there. And I want to, and with all the faith that she could muster, all these people must have been about 40 or 
150 people that were in this line. And what they did to them is they put them over here. Okay, we want you guys to be here in this special section of quadriplegics, of people in crutches, and all the blind and the deaf. And, and, and throughout the whole service, two hours of this music and lights and boom, people jumping and going all over the place. The light never came to that corner. Those that desperately knew that they needed it. And she says, you know, we all kind of rolled out of there like, wow, what happened? Maybe we are cursed by God. Maybe people don't want us. God doesn't want us to be healed. And she took a turn for the worst until later she came back and she realized, you know, that's what they're doing is wrong. And then it started to get exposed and they started to confront these healers. And, and, and these are some of the things, these false signs and wonders that some of these people can do because of powers of Satan's deception. And, you know, it is, it is so amazing because Paul says this in, 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 Second in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 14 and he says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Wow, what a charge. Yeah, these guys are false apostles, and no wonder. They, they, they look good, and they shine, and they're bright, and they, they do all these things. But, you know, that's what Satan does. Satan doesn't come to you with a pitchfork and horns all in red. You would run from a figure like that. You wouldn't want anything to do with anything like that. And he goes on to say in verse 14, and no, uh, excuse me, in verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. He comes to you as a servant, as a light, as an angel of light. He says, look at this pretty light. Oh, that's nice. You know, but I, I shouldn't touch that. Why not? Well, God, God said I would die. You're not going to die. Really? I thought God was love. Doesn't, doesn't he love to want you to love? Doesn't he want you to have an emotional attachment to somebody? Why would he deny you that? It's not right. The Bible says that a man shouldn't lay with it. It doesn't, come on. He doesn't really, that was for a long time ago. It's different today. Yeah, you're right, you know. And, and, and they, they go into this relationship and they realize, hey, I didn't die. <laughs> and, they get, and what happens is once Satan get, gets your, his hooks inside of you, he, he, takes, he takes you and he has discarded you. These apostles, Satan does this. And we have many of them now in the churches that are allowing homosexuals to be pastors. You know, they're, they're marrying other, other men and, and women. And so it, it, is, it is, to me, I, I, it's, it's hard to understand. Some people, some people call me old school. I says, okay, you can call me old school, but this is new school stuff. You know, the subtlety and the danger of false teachers lies in their clever twisting of scripture for their own ends. Uh, they're these hucksters or these liars or these, you know, trying to twist things around type of thing. And they want to say whatever they want to say just so they can get and seal the deal. That's what they're doing. Numbers. The profits, the monies that come in. Paul says uh, that they are like peddlers of God's word. See, their teaching, which appears to be biblical and spiritual, is far more dangerous than an open attack on the truth of Scripture. Instead of just taking the Bible and ripping it up into pieces and throwing it away, you would think that, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. What's worse is taking it and making it say what you want it to say, what they want it to say. You see, false teachers, they first confuse the heart, your emotions. They get you all riled up, and they, they confuse the heart. Then they captivate your mind, emotionally unstable people that are all, oh, I'm so, you know, I want some kind of healing or whatever. And they, then they captivate your mind. It can happen here. And finally, they damn you to hell because of how they follow. See, the elect wouldn't fall for something like that. You've seen it. You've felt it. You've kind of, you know, I just, you know, but you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to doubt God. God is doing something amazing in this person. You know, there's, there's things. What about these healings? Are they genuine? Are they real? Well, you know, almost, almost all of them. I'm, I'm sure God heals. I'm sure he does. But he doesn't do it through people like that, with the pocketbook like that, with the jet plane like that, with the, you know, all these Maseratis and Lincolns, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, if he's going to heal, he's going to heal. God's going to do it. 
You see, what Paul is trying to get across here, and we're going to see this in just a bit. What Paul is trying to get across here, he says, look, I want you to do this, not because you hate them, not because you're mad at them. I want you to set them straight because you love them. That's, that's the whole core of what's Christian. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know, and Paul knew that was going to happen. He knew that once he was gone, it was going to take place. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, he said this. He said this to the, the elders in Ephesus. He told them, he says, you know, I'm going, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they kept crying. He says, no, Paul, don't go. We, we, we've seen visions. We've seen, you know, we understand that if you go, I mean, the times, people hate you down there. You go to Jerusalem, they're going to they're gonna hurt you. They've already hurt you once. They've already tried putting you in prison. They're going to capture you. You're going to walk right into the den like Jesus did. He walked right into the middle of it, and they captured him. You know, Paul, we don't want that to happen to you. He says, I must go. However, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is what Timothy was dealing with. Timothy, this is going to happen. I'm telling you, stay there. I beg you, stay there. He says, I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And those are the, those are the, the, the points that, that Paul was trying to get across to Timothy. He says, this is, not, this is something that, that, that is not new. And you, you know that I've dealt with this. Describing the false teachers, he says, you know, that they, they consist in myths and endless genealogies. We don't know exactly what Paul was referring to. We don't know what it was that they were teaching. But getting a little bit of pieces from this, endless genealogies and myths, and then over in chapter, uh, verse in verse. Uh, four, chapter 4, verse 7, he's, he's talking about other things. And throughout First and Second Timothy, he, he kind of gives sprinkles a little bit of the teaching that's going on. When we went through the book of Colossians, I spoke to you about, and I'll get you the outline that I used in the book of Colossians as well. We, we went through this, uh, the teaching that was going on at that time. And it was called Gnosticism, from the word gnosis. Gnosis meaning to know. And Gnosticism, you may, not, you may not be familiar with it now, but once I start telling you a little bit about it, oh, is that what that is? Gnosticism was this belief that God is holy and pure, and so pure and holy that he cannot touch or even, you know, be a part, be, you know, close to sin, which is what we believe as well. And uh, there's no way, because God is holy and so pure, that he was going to be able to create a broken and fallen world, sinful man. And we know that the world is broken. We know that man is sinful. Yet God did come down in the form of Jesus Christ to save mankind. And we know that he interacted with man and he was part of man and he became flesh. However, for the Gnostic, Gnosticism was teaching that, no, you can't do that because God is holy. God can't become man. You, you can't make God into a man. That just does not happen. But scripture teaches exactly that, that God is three in one. So for them, in order for it to make sense, they said, well, this is, this is what God did. God was sending down these emanations. An emanation is like a pulse of energy, uh, 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 like a spirit. And he would send these emanations down, boom. And every emanation that he sent down, that emanation would send another one, and that emanation would send another one, and so on and so forth. So by the time that emanation got to the place where earth is at, it was so far removed from God that, that God wasn't actually touching the world. And this one emanation, which was a, a bad emanation, created the world as we know it today. And so these emanations that come from God, some of them were angels, some of them were demons. And one of them, one of the higher emanations was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ to them was not necessarily human. He was a spiritual form. As a matter of fact, they believed that Jesus didn't even walk on the planet, that he kind of glided over the top of the, the earth is what he did. And, and so for them, in order to be able to get close to God, you had to go through these emanations and learn, and you had to go into these prayers, these trances, these seances, or whatever the case may be, and you had to, you had to learn and learn more and, and get higher and higher uh, education and learning and wisdom. And the higher you got, the closer you got to God. And because everything was evil, the world, everything that, everything that you can see and touch, including mankind, my body, and my body is, is evil, so it doesn't matter what I do to my body because my body is going to be wasted at the end. 
they, they would laugh at Christians. Why do you want your body to resurrect? It's such a fat, ugly, old body. You don't, why do you want that body? It's full of sin. But see, that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our bodies will be resurrected, a new body. And they wouldn't believe the resurrection of the dead. They couldn't believe that. It just didn't fit. They, they believed that their spirit, the more spiritual they got, the closer they got to God. And so they would go into these uh, dreams and visions and these emanations that would give them these ideas. They'd come back and tell people about what they heard and what they saw and, and how they were to act and behave. And they would have dreams and visions and, and they would proclaim these things that were just contrary to Scripture. Paul is talking about these myths and these endless genealogies. We'll talk about that as well. But Gnosticism was more concerned about the knowledge, about the understanding, about the getting closer to God through these visions, these dreams, these, uh, you know, they would go into these frenzies and all kinds of things that the more chaotic and crazy you can get, the closer you got to God. Because God made you do that. And, and, and when they came down off this trip that they were on, they would come back and say, I got it, but you don't. So... If you want to get it, here's how you do it. Here's how. And to me, it sounds a lot like uh, the speaking in tongues type of thing. Speaking in tongues is, is another one of those things that uh, is unbiblical. But people, and it's not even tongues that they speak. It's gibberish that they just blurt out. And it's craziness what they do, but that's, that's what they do. And so that was part of this, this whole teaching aspect of it. And the other part of it was not only the uh, Gnosticism, but it was also the Jewish laws and rules and everything that they would follow and for for the jewish person they would get caught up in saying well you know i'm i'm from my dad was uh obed and my his dad was uh samuel and his dad was and so they would go back as far well my dad was so and so and so they would try to follow their lineage as far back as possible to david or even to adam and, and you know a lot of these jewish people they have these records that you can actually go to and find out how far back you can go as a matter of fact, if you ever want to go to Ancestry.com and send in your DNA, they'll find out exactly where you were born and who you were born to. You know, I, I had my DNA checked, and I found out that God is my father. Amen? <laughs> I didn't have my DNA checked, but I, found, I know that God is my father. That's all I need to know. And you have, you have but, but you know, and, and, it, and it's all prideful and, you know, arrogance. And, and, but they wouldn't get caught up in these endless genealogies. And, and, and part of it also was, their, uh, their fascination with the gods, uh, the Roman gods and the Greek gods, because th some of the gods would come down and, and inhabit the women and they would have children. And so some people would try to follow the lineage that way. And so you had all, this, I, all these ideas and Paul says, you know, get away from that. What these people are trying to tell you right now, this is what they're trying to show you. There's this thing going on in the world in the church today. It's called an anagram. You guys familiar with that? The anagram? It, it's, it's, this, uh, it's this picture of, of all these you know, points that uh, you can spiritually have. And, and it's, it's like a, almost like a star with these 8 to 12 points. And every one of those points means something. And uh, you, can, you can check your anagram points by, uh, by going through a series of tests. And this will tell you who you are spiritually. Again, it's like numerology, putting all the numbers together and then multiplying them by 2, dividing them by 4, and coming out with this number. And that's what that means. Every letter of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet, has a number. You add these numbers together. And so it's just all these various types of ways of trying to get closer to God. Beloved, there's only two religions in the world, okay? Remember that. There's that religion that says God is sovereign, and God is gracious, and God is in control, and he is the one that saves you. And the other one is you have to save yourself by either uh, doing certain things, uh, creating certain things, saying certain things, learning some certain things, you're saved by grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, and people say, yeah, yeah, we're saved by grace, but you also have to practice the Jewish law, or you also have to understand to speak in tongues, or you also have to have visions and dreams, or you also have whatever the case may be. You have to knock on some doors, say certain prayers. Yes, but, yes, and. Jesus Christ, saved by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's it. We'll talk about that some other time. And so these are the things that Paul was dealing with, or I should say Timothy was dealing with. And, and he, he, he says to them, he says, you know, you need to stay there and help them. As a matter of fact, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Now, 
the Spirit expressly says, and when we get there, we'll talk some more about this. The Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And this, beloved, is within the church, is what Paul is is, is dealing with. And so, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 21, We stu- when we studied First Thessalonians, Paul said this, but test everything, hold fast what is good. We paused during that time to share what these deceitful schemes and demons and teachings of demons was. We stopped there to look at the false apostles. We stopped there to look at First John chapter 4, and we, we went through it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and we've taken that time to do so. And uh, we, we may not we, we may not go through that again. I'll be touching on that more and more as we go through it. When we're in, we're in the book of Galatians, we also did the same thing in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel, part of, part of these, the Gnostic teaching was because these emanations were coming. Some of them were demons and some of them were angels. And the angels, if you found an angel, then what they would do is they would worship angels. And there's this idea even today of angelology how people see angels or how people know angels or speak to angels i had a I had a person here that was at our church that said every person has their own angel and that angel has a very distinct smell every time i smell butterscotch my angel is close by i said uh, where'd you find that in the bible well it's not in the bible i says well why would you even believe that because that's what it is I, I, where did you get that how, how do you you know this is the worship of angels And Paul says to the people in Galatia, this is not new. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Anybody comes telling you that you need to be saved by works, you need to do certain things. The Bible says they need to be accursed. Anathema. That's the Greek word. They need to be accursed. And and the word anathema is a very harsh cursing. It's a curse that you would take them and you would... Beat them up into a pulp and, you know, grind them all up, chew them in your mouth, spit them out, and then stomp on them, and then pick them back up again and do it again. It's, it's a curse that you just wouldn't want to have on anybody. Anathema was like you just don't want anything to do with those types of people, especially if they're preaching to you a different gospel. Beloved, this is why we need to know what the gospel is. The gospel message is pure and, and is simple. I am a sinner. I deserve the wrath of God. I do. I don't deserve anything else but that. But by his grace, which is unmerited, in other words, I I don't deserve it. By his grace, he gave me salvation. And some people say, well, you know, does that mean that he only gives it to those he elected and and he gives hell to those that he didn't elect? So so that means that those that are predestined go to heaven and those that are predestined to go to hell, they go to hell? That's double predestination. The Bible doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, what the Bible teaches is we're all going to hell. (laughs) We're all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We're already destined there. But God in his mercy says, you're mine. I picked you from the foundation of the world. You're mine. You're mine. Now, again, he holds us accountable. But the, the doctrine of God is very simple. God is the electing, the sovereign one that chooses. God. And we'll, we'll go to that as we get there. And so Paul says, if anybody's trying to teach you something different, you need to be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says it twice to the people in Galatia. <coughs> See, the goal of what Paul is trying to do, of defending the truth against the false teachers, he says in verses 5 and 6, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. This is what Paul is saying. The whole purpose, the whole goal of this, Timothy, is is I don't want you to hate anybody. I don't want you to ostracize anybody. I don't want you to, to start separating. You know, what I want you to do is hold them accountable, but do it in love. The whole purpose of this is love. Is Do you love your fellow man? Yeah. And if he's in error, aren't you going to help? Yeah. 
I mean, if you knew that the car your brother or your sister or your friend was driving had no brakes, would you let him get into that car? I mean, how many times have you stopped somebody that had been intoxicated, or at least you tried, you know, because you, know, you know they're going to hurt themselves. How many times have you tried and you got people to the hospital because they were choking or they were dying because you love that brother? And, and, and no, nobody's going to tell you, you know what, why did you do that? You know, I, this is my life. I can do whatever I want. And you do it because you love that person. The reason you want to talk to the people within the church is because you spent time with them. You've fellowshiped with them. You've eaten with them. And they're going off and says, brother, that's just not right. You know, you got to hold them accountable. And, and you know what? If they continue on, and, and I asked, have you ever stopped or tried to stop somebody that was intoxicated or at least tried? Because I don't care. Sometimes, you know, sometimes these people, they don't care how intoxicated they are. They'll take their keys and they'll take off anyways. And you know what's funny is, you know, for the most part, they make it home. Barely, but they make it home. And you're still like worried, sick. What's going to happen? Some of these people, they're going to take off and they're going to listen to these false doctrines and they're going to be okay. So it seems like. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming. And so his, he says, my, my aim, my, my whole reason for charging you, with, with commanding you to command them, to charge them, is love. And, and, and it comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And, and I want to get into those three because that is the meat of what Paul is trying to get across here. He wants to get this across. He says, you know, you just don't go out there and start bashing people because they believe different than you do. There are a lot of doctrines that we may not agree on, and we can discuss them. But I'm not going to hate you for it. You're not probably you're probably not less saved than I am. You know, your salvation is secure. Your salvation is your salvation. You know, but there's some things that are just essential, that are important. And and we shouldn't go around bashing each other. I can't believe he believes that. Or I can't believe he walks that way. You know, but there is some correction that needs to be done in some of our teaching. For the most part, most of us got a lot of bad teaching as we were growing up. Well, let's see what the Bible says. And from there, like I said earlier, your doctrine is going to be determine your behavior. You're going to act out what you believe. You're going to do what you believe is right at that moment, at that time. And if you are based in, and, and filled your mind with God's word, and God's word says do not lie, you will not tell a lie, even if it's going to get you into trouble. Even if you think that, it's going to hurt somebody. You, you won't tell the lie. You'll tell the truth. You will not swerve left or right after other gods, after other women, after other uh, jobs or whatever the case is, because you know what the word, your mind is filled with the word of God. And so your conscience, everybody has a conscience. You're, and we're going to really dive deep into this next week. Your con- Paul talks a lot about your conscience. Your conscience is your uh, GPS system that you have inside of you. Everyone has a conscience. Don't dismiss it or don't try to equate it to the Holy Spirit because everyone has a sense of right and wrong. Everybody does. This is the world. And there are a lot of people that will pat themselves on the back. Well, you know, I did what was right. Well, yeah, it's because you have a conscience. But you see, we also find out later, and Paul is saying, you know, these people that are diving into this type of sin, and the world is trying to sear your conscience. They're trying to make you feel like, you know, if you have these thoughts inside of you that you're, you're hating yourself because you did something wrong, you know, you're, you're damaging your self-esteem. It's okay to do what you feel is right. It doesn't matter what your conscience says. And the more you do it, the more your conscience, the Bible calls this, the Bible says your conscience gets seared. It gets burnt and it gets toasted into what it is that you want to believe. And because you've already made up your mind, your conscience is seared, you're going to act out in that sense. You have to know what the word of God says. Love the Lord your God with all that you have. And my first, that was just the introduction, beloved. (laughs) We haven't even gotten into the outline yet. But we'll talk about that next week. Amen. Because Timothy is uh, an ideal book of what it is that the church ought to be doing. Doing it in love. Not hitting people upside the head with the Bible or a club or anything else. But you do it in love. Out of a pure heart. Out of a good conscience. And you do it, you do it out of love. Let me ask you to stand.
as I mentioned, we all have a conscience. Everybody does. And some people mistake it for the Holy Spirit. Until you are born again, and this is one of the things that happens when you're born again, the Holy Spirit washes clean your conscience. All the guilt, all the shame, all those things that you had in your mind, all the anger, all the all, all that perversity that your conscience would think, and, and you would you would think, you know, that's okay to do that. Even though your conscience is trying to tell you something different. And once once you're born again, once you've been regenerated, your conscience is made new. And it is cleansed. And now you can operate on God's conscience. You feel your conscience. You feel your mind. Your conscience is the reflection of your soul. Your conscience is, is showing you what you truly believe. And if you truly believe this, then you will act out in a sincere conscience. And a good conscience. You would act out in such a way that, that is going to, to help you to grow more and more like Christ. But you can't, that conscience, it's, it's clean. you got to fill it with God's word. And this is why we come to church. This is why we do Bible studies. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we memorize scripture. And that's our goal for this year. As the church is to be the hope of the world. Thank you, Father, once again, as we've been learning that this world needs hope. In this time, this day, this age, this year, in 24, we need the hope that only comes from you. We base our hope on you, on nothing less. And we want to base all our life upon Jesus Christ and his word. And so, Father, I pray that you lead us. You help us to understand. Understand what it is and, and how it is that uh, the church is supposed to move forward. And there's, there's much in Scripture that is essential for the church. But there's much more, even more essential, how I should respond within the church. And it's challenging, Lord, because it, it challenges my, my belief system. It challenges my, my thought system. It challenges my conscience. And this world is doing everything it can to sear that conscience clean or dirty. And wants to sear it in such a way that it's seared toward the world so that I don't feel anything. And they call it a self-esteem. And, I don't want, and the world doesn't want you to damage your self-esteem. And what the Bible calls sin they call it uh, just your habits, lifestyle. And so, Lord, we just we need to get closer to your word even more so. Help us understand it. And so, Father, thank you once again for the word that you give us today. Lord, we have to come to a place where we recognize that we are just sinful people and we need a Savior. Every day, not just on Sunday, not just once, to commit our life to you and that's it. Every day we need a Savior. And we need to grow more and more like you. So, Father, I pray that you lead us to that conviction in our own life. I pray for each one here, Lord, for their needs and uh, all that you're trying to do in their life. I pray that they submit to your word and to your will, that you lead them in all things. Thank you once again for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right. I'll be up here for a moment. If you'd like to come up here.